What's up and welcome into the lead block. It is a victory Sunday slash Monday here in Columbia. So good morning to Athens. Probably not doing great there. Um, True. Never mind, can't even say that. Yeah. I am your host, Tyler Walters, alongside my co-host, Matthew Anderson. So Matthew, how you doing? Doing great, man. Oh, well, real quick. I had to backtrack my statement last week. I had Georgia uh, beating Carolina. That's why I turned down tickets to the game. I probably should have been there. Wasn't ex- <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting what happened. Uh, yeah, I forgot you turned down tickets to the game um, on Friday's show. Real, real quick before we get into it, go follow the show right now on Twitter and Instagram, athlete underscore block, um, and go rate and subscribe and give us five stars. Um, so we can keep doing these because we love them, and that helps us. All right, anyway, back to back to the game. Matthew made probably the worst decision he has in a while, <laughs> turning down tickets to South Carolina, going into Georgia, and just, I mean, doing something that I didn't think was possible at all. No, I really did not. I, I did not see that. I would say of all my years watching sports, there have been some surprises, but maybe this one hits home. You know, you're from Columbia, go to USC. But I did not expect to see that coming. No, uh, so South Carolina goes into the Athens just to give the, the stats here, and they beat the number three ranked George Bulldogs, um, twenty to seventeen in double overtime, and what just an outrageous game! Um, I try not to let the fandom out on this podcast too much at all, or creep into my writing as I get more into my journalistic career. Um, the fandom is—I don't want to say you can't have fandom but you want to you don't want that to affect your opinions or anything right um but it's going to come out in this one so (laughs) i I just can't i can't keep it in this is the most this is probably for me this is the biggest upset of of my lifetime as a south carolina fan i grew up in the low country um i was a gamecock fan from day one uh this is the one of two schools i applied to um what was the other one just for ole miss Oh, really? Um, yep, it was here in Ole Miss, and I, I knew I was coming here my entire life. Um, and I, though I didn't know what I would do once I got here, I just wanted to be here. So, I mean, I watched the Gamecocks play every single Saturday it, for as long as I can remember. Every time there's a game on, I'm sitting somewhere and I'm watching the game. I don't go do things in the fall at all on Saturdays. <laughs> I don't. My life revolves around particularly this football program, and now more so just football in general. Right. Because we, um, not only do we do this show where we get into, you know, a studio and have to speak about it on a mic, so you want to be well informed. Um, I'm in a newsroom Monday through Friday writing about football, among other things. So you, you I mean, you got to watch the games. Um, and and I, I just love football. But South Carolina beating Alabama uh, at home in williams Bryce in 2010 yeah. uh, with Garcia was unbelievable. But plenty of people pick South Carolina to win that game. And, and this is, I'm going to go a little, a little off the rails here and, and say that this is probably just a bigger win at this moment because you, there is no way... As a South Carolina fan, any any one of the the rest of you um, out there could have thought that the Gamecocks were going to go into Georgia and 
into Athens and win this football game. I mean, I'm pretty. I was talking about this with someone yesterday. I'm, you know, six days of the week. I'm very realistic about South Carolina football. But on Saturday, on Saturday when it comes down to it, I'm rooting for them every play. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I want them to win. And, and I will always get my hope up. And I thought what was going to happen is they were going to do what they always do, and they were going to go and play really well and have a chance to win and then blow it late. Right. Which almost happened. Very much. Very much. Almost happened. But... It, it was just an, an incredible win for this program, and I can say it's better than Bama because when we, um, when South Carolina played Bama in 2010, you had a ridiculous amount of talent on that team. Um, you have uh, a who is now a Super Bowl winning wide receiver on the on that team. You had a quarterback who was highly rated out of high school, who even though he was not didn't perform up to expectations, I would say, at South Carolina. You still believed in him, and he could make the throws and win big games. Um, you had a great defense. You had great offensive line. You had playmakers all over the field. Yeah. Um, you at, at South Carolina now, you have guys you think are playmakers, and, and this weekend they certainly proved themselves to be. But it's not like – though Alshon Jeffrey was being – talked about as like one of the top receivers in the nation yeah and and the defensive guys you had on that Bama team the team that beat Bama were a lot of them were were taken in the NFL draft and some of them are still playing um and this South that South Carolina team was talked about so much in the national media and given a very fair chance I mean Kirk Herbstreet picked USC on game day ahead of that game um so I say though that's the biggest win this one in Athens is the most, uh, like, biggest upset, I would say, in, in South Carolina history. I mean, Georgia was 24.5-point favorites. As I sat here on Friday and we were uh, going through the rundown, and I'm looking and I wrote down, I, I usually write down all of, the, uh, all of the spreads next to each game I list out so I know, you know, what, what the, who the favorite is and by how many points. And I, I'm looking through, like, Thursday or whenever I was writing the rundown, and I see Georgia 24-and-a-half. Or, or I'm like, what? Georgia's 20-point favorites? And it felt a little ridiculous to me because I know the South Carolina team, if you if you watch them over the last few years, you know they have the talent to be able to go win a game like this. And just the history of this game over the last 15 years, uh, minus one or two uh, blowouts, they've been pretty close. And, I, I mean, it's just, I, like I, I was saying the other day, that this, this game was, there was like 10 years in a row there, seven points or less was the deciding factor. And it felt like South Carolina kind of fallen off and Georgia was taken ahead. But remember two years ago when South Carolina went to Athens, they had a decent shot to win and they played really well. And that was one of their best games of the season. Um, in the season they won, what, eight, nine games? Yeah, really besides, yeah, I would say really besides last year, it's always been kind of close when you think about historically. And again, I guess also it's kind in of our like lifetimes at least, yeah. Yeah, so it's like historically it's like a it's a tight game, and you bring a little bit extra to it because it's a somewhat of a rivalry game, definitely SEC East rivalry, I would say. I would say our biggest rival in, in the Southeastern Conference by far is Georgia. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and even at large, it, Clemson – Obviously, number one, and Georgia too. Yeah, and I put Georgia right right below Clemson. I mean, there's obviously a big gap, but Georgia's the you want to beat Georgia. 
And this the border state fight with a lot of recruits to go look like, for example, how we were saying earlier, Jamias Williams, he was between South Carolina and Georgia. So, yeah, a lot of I'm, I'm sure that a lot of the coaches know the other players because they recruited them as well and they just happened to go to the other school. Yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of that talk this week in Muschamp's press conference when he was um, in the Gamecock Media Day just in general Tuesday. A lot of these guys from Georgia, um, the media got a chance to speak with, and they were just, you know, all kind of speaking about their recruiting um, scenarios with Georgia and their their how that process went. And a lot of these guys were recruited by Georgia. I mean, they're Georgia kids, and they chose to come across the border to South Carolina, and they got it. That's something special. When you play a team that's geographically that close, it's hard not to just feel a little different when you go in and play um, Georgia. And this this game, let's let's dig into a little bit of the feelings of the game here. South Carolina starts out pretty strong. I mean, they throw up, um, Georgia threw up three to start, and, and South Carolina uh, scores a touchdown, and they've got a lead. Yep. And, and I felt like that was, and then somehow we're tied at, what, 10-10 in that game? And um, at one point, and you're feeling like, all right, South Carolina is like, this is going to be a battle. The first half's going to be close, and I just kept thinking, wow, they're they're playing very well, but we still have three quarters to go, and um, everything looks good, but you can't believe it until you see it kind of thing. Um, here, if you follow South Carolina football <laughs> at any point in any time in history, uh, you don't you don't believe things until you see them. And I was an emotional wreck Saturday. By the time we got to the, to the second half, I was about to jump off my balcony. I couldn't <laughs> take it anymore. I mean, you go, South Carolina gets a lead. There's up 17-10. No one, just, no one scores in, in the second half. It was ridiculous. Fromm looks off a little. Uh, but I, what Fromm has thrown 30-plus passes. 30, it was like 31 or 32 passes uh, in like four games that he's had in his career, and Georgia loses every time Fromm throws over that whatever that threshold is, like 32 passes or something. They're like 0-4 something in, in those games. And when you can make a running team throw the football that much, you give yourselves a chance to win. And South Carolina was able to do that all day. They got pressure up front, and they were able to contain the run enough to where Georgia had to throw the football, which created some very just butterfly feelings because in the second half South Carolina gets Georgia to third down and then Georgia just they just they get the third down and then there was no three and outs yeah, they're not used to it. Georgia, they're used to running the ball pretty much the whole game. Then whenever Fromm does throw, it's usually very efficient because it's only a couple times throughout the game. But, yeah, he ended up, Fromm was looking at the stats, he ended up attempting 51 throws, and that is not what they went into this game doing. And also, the more you thought about, obviously, the more chances for interception. You know, he had three of those. No, what? All right, last week, it's really funny that, that Georgia, uh, or that Fromm threw, he went 28 for 51. Uh, talked to Eric Douglas last week in uh, at South Carolina's media meetings, pre- whatever you want to call them. And what he said about the running game to some reporter's question was that you can't expect to th- – basically, he said the offensive line takes very um, – they're very prideful in running the ball. And you can't set back and throw 50-something times and expect to win in this league. And I think that is so funny now, looking at from stat line, throwing 28 for 51, 295 yards – 
um, and a touchdown, along with the three picks, which we'll get to in a second. And you can't expect to win throwing 50-something times in this league. That, those words right there just kind of they, they kind of hit you, you know, and, and that kind of tells you how you have to play these games, these close games. Like, you, you can't be – that shows you where Georgia was at all day, that they're in the mindset that they had to get – they had to throw the ball. And, yeah, they, they had uh, two overtimes, but that's what, maybe – I think Georgia maybe threw the ball like four or five times. It wasn't a lot yeah. in two overtimes, you know. It was probably really hard for the offensive coordinator to establish a rhythm too because it's like this is completely out of the ordinary for him. And South Carolina, Kinlaw really had a really great game, I thought. And so this really – that him really emerging this season is, in big games is really helping this team out a lot because that pass rush is really can't be duplicated. Yeah, they've been absolutely – they've been fantastic. And they were great all day yesterday. They got pressure in all four quarters – and they got pressure in overtime, and they forced um, Fromm to make poor throws. 28 for 51 is a stat line that we don't see from Jake Fromm. You see the 25 for 28 or the 28 for 30. For 270 or, yards. Yeah, you don't see 28 for 51. You don't see those, you know, um, 23 incomplete passes from Jake Fromm. Ever. He's thrown maybe 23 incomplete passes all year up to yeah, this point, it feels yeah. like. And for South Carolina to go in there and do that, it just shows you how well their defensive line played to get pressure on from. That's just that all goes back to the battle at the line because they got pressure all day and they got after Jake Fromm and they got what three sacks maybe. Yeah. And Fromm hadn't been sacked but like once all year, and, and they go in and they force three sacks. And when your sacks don't aren't necessarily the best metric of how much pressure you get on a quarterback. Um, because maybe you have three games where you get pressure and you get th- just those three sacks. But South Carolina was getting pressure all day. And, God, they just – they were unreal. The defensive line was just unreal. And it didn't ever look like they got to a point where they were just beaten except for the, what, 90-plus-yard drive Georgia had to tie it up at the end of the fourth quarter or towards the end of the fourth quarter. Um, what a nerve-wracking drive that was. If you're a Gamecock fan, and Georgia just that drive, there were what two penalties that cost South Carolina uh, from getting Georgia to turn the ball back over to them. Yeah, it kept extending the drive. Yeah, and, and that's just that was just like ripping my heart out every time I every, they get South Carolina gets a third down, they make a great play, get a flag, just crush me again, just rip my heart out, stomp on it. Gamecocks got a seven point lead, and you're trying to hold on to it dearly. And it, it just felt like Georgia was going to go down and they were going to score and they were going to win that football game. And I felt like this game was over so many times. I felt like it was over when uh, when, when Brent, producer Brendan just showed us a picture of some of the guys in the, in the locker room after the game, some of the South Carolina guys. Smoking, Pollard, Edwards, and Dawkins. Smoking cigars, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, hedges in his hat. Hedges, hedges in the hat. Uh, but yeah, but as you were saying, it's like whenever you start seeing that drive come together, you start looking at it like, oh my God, it's the same song. The coach is looking at this thing like, no, this cannot happen again. We have the opportunity here. Don't let this happen to the. And obviously, you know, I don't know if you saw the Louisville game, but the that's a perfect example of how into it the coaches get sometimes. The Louisville game before the game, the defensive line coach was damn near fighting the. Um, 
the players, like, he was so much into it, all the intensity, and you could tell in his eyes like that. So as a coach, you're standing on the sideline like, yo, y'all, come on, let's get this thing together. We cannot have them drive down this field, and you can't do anything to stop it. All you can do is coach them up, and they depend on your training. Exactly, and, and they were like, that, that drive was just gut-wrenching to watch from Georgia and from place balls where he needed to place them, and that felt like South Carolina was just going to play well and shoot themselves in the foot and, and lose this football game. Uh, so let's go into the decision here. So Georgia goes down, South Carolina, they get a fourth down stop. Yeah. Holding on the defense right at the right at the goal line. Uh, and Fromm threw a ball to the back of the end zone to one of his tight ends. And South Carolina secondary gets, or one of the linebackers maybe, gets a, gets a penalty thrown on him, gives Georgia a first down. Georgia ends up scoring a touchdown on a great ball from and a great catch from his receiver. Um, I can't remember which one it was that caught that ball, but a great catch. Uh, toe taps it in, get, gets, the foot, gets the foot down, and now you're thinking, I'm thinking, here we go. Like, Georgia's got one of the best kickers in the country, Rodrigo. Yeah, everybody remembers him for the glasses. Yeah, and the fact that he's been at Georgia for 55 years now. Um, <laughs> and he had, like, I just felt like South Carolina like, was going to get stopped immediately. Yeah. And Georgia's going to get the ball, and they were going to get it to the 40, and Blankenship was going to kick a 55-yarder, and that would be it. It would be, uh, well, they played good. Like, maybe take a, uh, like, try to take a moral victory, although. If you lose, you lose. There are no moral victories, and and which is how the game should be played. Um, we'll get to some moral victories in a minute. I got a nice note in here for for a certain fan base. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you 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 watch this this drive in this fourth quarter, and you've got to be like, all right, South Carolina, just this is just done. Like they played great all day, and they're gonna just kind of mess it up for themselves now they're going to be the reason they're going to be the reason they lost versus being the like georgia being the reason georgia won um and, and in the box score if you look at the box score georgia's stats were much better than south carolina's i wanted to say something about that as a matter of fact if you look at like the stats of the game it makes no sense that south carolina won this game you had jake Fromm, who although he was 28 for 51 he had 295 yards throwing and one touchdown deandre swift had 23 carries for 113 yards and then you look at the South Carolina one, and Helensky went 15 for 20 for 116 yards. And Brian Edwards had like a 60-yard catch, so that's where a lot of that came 42 yards. He only had 78 total yards. And then DeCarion Joyner went 6 for 12 for 39 yards, and they didn't have a – USC didn't have a 100-yard rusher or a 100-yard receiver. So when you looked at the stats, it's like, how, how did this possibly happen? But one of the main things that most people over – well, sometimes people overlook is the turnover, and so you have three interceptions that can cost you big. Yeah, absolutely, and th- those came up huge. And we'll um, we'll get to to my guy Mokuamu here in a second. But uh, Georgia, South Carolina decides to kick. Once Champ decides to kick, uh, what fifty nine yard field goal with right. Parker White. Now the one he drilled early in the game looked like it would have been good from seventy yards. But saying it looked like it would have been good from 70 yards and having to go out and kick a 70-yard field goal are two totally different things. Whole different ball game. And I could not believe that they put him on the field. I mean, I'm jumping up and down in my living room <laughs> screaming, what, what is he doing? I'm texting my, my buddy at the time um, from, from home, and, and I'm just saying, dude, what, what is Muschamp doing? Like, what is going on? Like, why is he letting Parker White kick this field goal, and, and no offense to Parker White, that's just, 
I mean, Mark Parker White's been pretty nails this year. And for him to to ask any kicker to go try to kick a 58-yard field goal to win a game on the road. On the road in SEC. With still 45 seconds left. That was the thing. I was like, dude, you you marched this play down. They were like a fourth and short or third and short or whatever it was. Try to get this first down. You still got your uh, your timeouts here. And march it down closer, and if you don't get the fourth down, you're in the same position as missing the field goal, and you just defend. If you get the first down, you run a little more clock out, and you can get Parker White in a better position to win you this game in regulation. And I, I was losing my mind. Like, I couldn't watch. Like I was freaking out, and Parker missed way wide right. Um, I don't know what happened there. He might have just not – it's just like he just didn't set up right, honestly, because the kick was fairly – I mean, it didn't look like a shank all the way. It a little came off the foot a little funny, but he was just way right. And, and I don't like, but you can't be mad at like Parker White for missing that field goal because that's a ridiculous ask of any kicker in college football. And there's a long story of co- old college kickers they'll cost you games. It's kind of funny, you know, on Twitter until it's your team. Yeah, oh it's, yeah, it's funny until sure. it's your team. But uh, yeah, and I, I was just so shocked that Muschamp made that call um but he made it white misses and the Gamecocks are able to defend enough to where they 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 don't they played you know don't give up the deep ball defense there a little prevent defense gave up a few like underneath routes and I thought Georgia was gonna uh kick it there with Rodrigo at the end of the game and they just couldn't quite get to where they, they felt comfortable I guess I don't know I feel like with that kicker like Blankenship yeah like you Trust him probably better than any other kicker in the country. He's extremely rangy. Yeah, and you let him maybe take a shot there at the end of the game when you got two seconds. Like, all right, are we going to throw a Hail Mary here or are we going to, you know, try to kick this field goal? I was also shocked that Kirby, uh, Kirby Smart elected not to kick the field goal uh, like his former teammate Muschamp did. And, and then so you're going into overtime, and, and I'm thinking, man, like there's just there's just no way. There's no way. There's no way this happens. Boy, like the roller coaster of emotions was going hitting me so hard. And I mean, I was probably like at this point, like forty percent through a bottle of bourbon. So <laughs> we're where the emotions were even flowing a little stronger. Like you you gotta be almost uh to to get like to watch South Carolina play football. And uh Mokuamu comes up with his third pick of the day on just not a Jake Fromm thrown like mistake. Uh he threw his ball Jake Fromm throws the ball a little behind his receiver at the the and like I mean they play college football overtime like baseball like in the top of the first overtime and, and on Georgia Storm South Carolina got to play defense uh second or first, excuse me. Um and Fromm throws the ball a little behind the receiver. The receiver puts a hand on it, pops it up, Mokuama makes a great play to stretch out and, and catch that football and pick it off. And I'm screaming in my living room. I'm going nuts. Like, I'm beating on everything. Like, I'm, my table's about to just cave in. Um, well, and I'm thinking, here we go. Like, just talk talk about that play. Like, did you 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 watched it, I'm sure, like, multiple times now. Yeah, I've seen the play. It's interesting what they do. A lot of defense backs, and most defense back coaches do this every single every single practice. They do this thing called the tip drill, where they work on specifically when that ball's tipped in the air, you make sure you get into it and, you know, put two hands on it. You know how to catch football. One thing to look at, though, Israel is 6'4", 196 pounds. 196 pounds, that's why he's very skinny, as you can see. But obviously, he lifts weights, but that's a different story. But this 6'4", 
like when his was at the wingspan, I guess you could yeah. say. His wingspan is extremely long, uh, probably a lot because you know most corners are maybe about somewhere between five ten and six two. But he's six foot four, so even if the ball is a little bit away, he like I think two of his interceptions came they were they were like kind of a little bit away from him. Yeah. But he was able to go and snag him out there. He's true. I mean, he used every single bit of his six four frame Saturday multiple times. Um, his interception earlier in the game, he far or George excuse me throws the back shoulder ball. And, and Fromm's a little inaccurate, and Mokuama makes Pay just absolutely just stretches out to to snag a ball. I mean, amazing fingertip catch like, to grab it, that ball right before it hit the ground. I watched the, that one was probably the most forgettable one because yeah. a the the first one. I mean, the first one's a pick six. Fromm hasn't thrown an interception all year, and he's never given never George hasn't allowed a pick six in Fromm's games. Uh, Fromm's never thrown a pick six. Pick six, boom! What a flow of emotion that was. You, I mean, just going nuts. Like that's what we need. If you're South Carolina, you need your defense to just be big and maybe snag some points for you. Like that's what they have to do. Um, and, and against Georgia's, when you're going up against Georgia's defense, and they, I mean, that was huge. Uh, that pick six cannot be like understated at all. Mokuama made a great play on the ball, and South Carolina like got a few downfield blocks, and he was gone. Uh, and, and there was no chance to catch him. I mean, that kid had back of the end zone, like just staring it down, tunnel vision, just hauling tail straight for it. And uh, then he goes out and makes that stretches out to make that fingertip catch, like I said, and then makes a just a fantastic play, just an eyes play in an OT to snag that ball off of his third interception off of the day um, in a position where you have to stop Georgia from scoring to give your offense a chance to go score and win this game in the first overtime. Comes up with a huge, huge pick, and right there, I was like, "We got it." Parker's going to kick field goal if we don't if we don't run it in here. They're going to run the ball, get it where Parker uh, Parker White wants it. He's going to kick it through, no problem. Parker White hasn't missed inside of fifty all year. Right, good to go. Kids been nails, like I said. Um, perfect story. Yeah, perfect story. And, and then, so that happens. They get the ball kind of in the middle of the field, a little to the left, I believe, and, and Parker just. Misses another one. I thought I, I, I thought I was just seeing a nightmare happen. When I saw that, I was like, okay, so the football gods clearly want Georgia to win this game because it's like, okay, I was especially you know with the overtime, you pretty much start in field goal position. Yeah, so I was like, okay, yard line. It's clearly it's going through Gamecocks win. It's like, all right, well after this happens, surely Georgia getting another chance that there was no end where they would uh, find a way to lose this game, and they did just that. Yeah, I mean, you start at twenty five yard line in college, like that's a forty two yard field goal, which. If they would have sent Parker White out there on first down, you know, first play, and just kicked it, I would have been yep, fine. Good. That's yeah, good. You know, uh, awesome you got to, like, like we've said, like, he's been, he hadn't missed before this game inside of 50 all year. He's been really good and giving the Gamecocks a lot of good kicks this year. Um, and he's really progressed in his career um, because his first, his freshman year, he was getting booed off the field a lot. Yeah. And, I mean, he's, like, the kid had a tough time, but um, credit to him, he stuck with it, worked out with Suck Up a lot this summer, uh, former Gamecock kicker. And he's been great. Had a rocky Saturday, to say the least. And to see him miss this field goal, I mean, I was just shocked. Like, I couldn't believe that he missed it just because he's been so good all year. And I was like, crap. George, that's it. That's. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, I was like, man, they're, for the second time now, I'm saying, here we go. Here's the moment where the Gamecocks lost. 
Did you see uh, Helensky's reaction? He was like, like whenever Helensky saw that he missed the kick, he's like, wait, he did what? He said, I can't exactly remember exactly what he said, but it was an expression. I think SEC Network or something like that tweeted out. It's like, no, no. It can't. And Helensky at this point is struggling even like walking. But he's like, oh, no, we missed another one. I feel like even in the back of his mind, he's played enough football to be like, well, we usually don't get too many second chances and stuff like this. Yeah, you, you just don't get those second chances in the SEC. You don't get those second chances against a top five team. Um, and for South Carolina, I got multiple second chances, and, and I was just just shocked. So then Georgia goes down, and in the second overtime, or in the excuse me, in the second overtime, South Carolina gets the ball back immediately, right? Because they flip, and, and now whoever was last was first, and first is last. So South Carolina gets the ball to start the second overtime, and they had to kick a field goal, and of course Parker White drills this one. But I'm worried here, and I'm thinking South Carolina, like, Georgia's just going to score. They're going to score, and they're going to win by three, and this is going to be over. Final score is going to be 23-20, and we're all going to be saying, what if come, you know, Monday morning? Um, And the defense just showed up again, holds Georgia to where they have to kick a field goal, um, and and not like a—I mean, like we said, you get the ball at 25-yard line, so it's not that far of a field goal, but— you don't want to have to kick a field goal there. And they didn't give Rodrigo too many extra yards to kick that field goal. And they send Blankenship out there. I'm thinking, all right, we're going to the third overtime in college. Once you get to the third overtime, you got to go for two yeah. after every touchdown. And I'm thinking the way we'll lose now is, you know, South Carolina will score a touchdown and they'll miss a two-point conversion and then Georgia will drill both. And Blankenship just misses. And I... I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I still can't believe that he missed that kick. Like, you run that kid out there. You put I, – I would have put a million dollars on him drilling that kick. Like, he, that's a kick he makes ten times out of ten. And I don't think that the nerves got to him. I don't think it was too big of a moment. Um, I, I think, like, I mean, George has had, especially in his career, plenty of big moments. Yeah. Now. They've been in plenty of big games. The kid's playing a national championship, a couple SEC championships, lots of big games. I mean, they play Auburn every year. That's a huge game. And they play plenty of other huge games. Um, but I just, I couldn't believe it, honestly. And they're like, I was just, just screaming. I got the feel that that kick, that miss was, cause you probably has kicked that thing hundreds of times in practices and stuff. Absolutely. It was just a mental thing at that point. And then I saw it after he misses the kick. He couldn't believe it. He kind of bends down like what is really going on. Cause he knows what's coming next. And I'm pretty sure he was like, oh, that that was seemed to be kind of a simple kick. So he knew that that might have been the big mistake that cost him the game. And one thing that's really big around, obviously, are from himself. So y'all know this too. Death threats are a thing, and I hate to see it. But whenever you miss kicks, I remember Taj Boy missed touchdown. They egged his house at Clemson. Like death threats are a thing. People bet big money on this college football stuff, especially in the South. So I know that guys like, oh god, I'm. And then also, you know, you're gonna hear about it all week, especially because with Georgia, hope to uh, play in the college football playoff. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I just don't want to see that from Georgia fans. Uh, like, I mean, it'll it'll happen. That just yeah. happens. But it's it's going to be a real shame when those stories start coming out this week because Rodrigo's drilled so many big kicks in his career at Georgia, and he's put them in places to win games that Georgia shouldn't have been. Yeah. Um. When when other parts of their game have let them down, um. So Georgia, if you're Georgia, this game should not have come down to a field goal. Like you, you just can't have your star quarterback throw three picks, even though like, like we said, Moko made just an absolutely unreal play on the third one. Um, but 
that ball wasn't the most accurate. Yeah, he hit his receiver in the hand, but he threw it behind his receiver too. So like you can't like that was the receiver trying to get to it. Um, but yeah, so everybody had a piece in this loss. Oh, I another thing. I so let's go to the quarterbacks now. We've kind of discussed you know like the like how how the the game went and, and you know uh, what I was thinking during it. How South Carolina marches Ranolinski out there and to start this game, kid goes fifteen for twenty. Yeah, I mean, looks like he's playing good. They're giving him a lot of easy throws, and they're moving the ball a little. Throws a forty-two yard pass to to Edwards, forty-two, forty-three, um, pass to Brian Edwards, and Edwards scores a touchdown. Great ball, by the way. And then what? Third quarter, you have one on one play, and Holinsky got up earlier, and he's limping. He's got a knee brace on. Um, which I had heard nothing about before the game. Never heard it. Uh, he's got a knee brace on, and he's limping around early in the in the, in the first half, and he looks fine. Um, the kid keeps playing, tough as nails. On one play, you lose your your quarterback and your star wide receiver. On one play, what happened to Brian? Brian ended up being fine. I think he just landed awkwardly, or had someone roll up on him awkwardly. Uh, so Brian Edwards catches a ball, and, and um, I don't even remember if he caught it. But he just got, like, tackled kind of weird. I think someone just kind of landed on his ankle maybe. Might have got, like, a cleat in it or something. Um, I, I couldn't – I didn't see that replay as much because we just – I just kept seeing the Holinsky replay, uh, his side of that play and his injury. But, yeah, you, you see that happen, and I'm just like, crap, there's – Chances like that was just another moment in this game where South Carolina was like, "There's no way they win this game," um, and then to lose both of those guys and Holinsky on Holinsky's side of the play, uh, the immediate reaction was, "Oh, it's a dirty hit, it's a dirty hit, it's a dirty hit!" Like South Carolina fans just jumping all. South Carolina has been the most disappointing group of people this year, <laughs> far more disappointing than the team themselves. Um, and they've just been just nasty and just. It, just stupid, yeah. this, honestly. I, I don't know what it is. Like I don't. This has never been my interpretation of South Carolina fans. I've always thought we've had great reputation as a fan base here at the University of South Carolina, and generally like nice people um, from everyone that I know. But I mean, Twitter like shows the kind of true colors of the worst part. I don't. Twitter, Twitter brings out the worst and the worst people. Everybody gets a little bit more bold. Never, yeah, never yeah. See them. Just because you think you got a thousand followers and you get a bunch of people who have are like minded, so you can just say something to, for clicks. Um, it's like your little community. Yeah, I mean, I can guarantee you that the the multitude of people who are hashtagging fire Muschamp would not say that to that guy's face. So, um, and, and I would dare them to say it to Ray Tanner's face, a guy that's brought you more. Uh, I don't want to defend their jobs here because, yeah, they've, they've underperformed, both of them, um, I believe. But I, I would dare you to say that to your athletics director who has brought you more national champion, more relevance than any person who ever has in, in this program's history. Uh, and then I would, I would just dare you to say it to Will Muschamp's face because that, that dude's got some guns. Yeah. So uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with Muschamp. But, uh, and, I mean, he's also nuts. Um, it's a little bit fire. Yeah, we've all seen the gif of him just punching the crap out of that whiteboard <laughs> in Texas. Love just all time. But uh anyway, we'll get off off Gamecock fans here for a second. This is this is a day to celebrate for him. But <laughs> you lose Holinsky and I'm thinking, man, this is just not good. De Carrion Joyner 
teammate of the year. I mean, this guy has just been incredible. And we talked a couple weeks ago about his attitude and something he said in a press conference and just his ability to just want the team to win. And, I mean, Muschamp spoke about it after the game and credited his parents, um, his mom and his stepdad, just the way that they raised him and how amazing a people that they are. And I I can't imagine as, you know, an, as a parent, that's got to feel good to see your kid talk the way about his teammates the way he does and about himself the way he does, that A, he believes in himself, B, he believes in his teammates, and he wants to do whatever he can to, to help the program. Um, I mean, that's just got to feel good. That's, a very, that's such a good representation of the two people that raised him. And that's kind of what Muschamp's comments was yesterday, or yeah. word yesterday. Because character is like one of those things you can't really coach. It's like something like, obviously, like you said, that your parents kind of put you in. I mean, that they kind of build, you know, kind of your whole yeah. entire life there. And especially with him facing as much of adversity as he has in his life, it's like if there's somebody with to be entitled, like a attitude ever would be him, mean, he doesn't present that. So that's great to see. Yeah, I mean, the kid's uh, one of the best quarterbacks in, high, in South Carolina high school history. You would, like— You've got respect to like a little bit of arrogance, but not at all. Not at all from DeCarion Joyner. Um, never have I seen, you know, not all of his public comments. Kid is just one of the smartest and well spoken people. You don't get that from every athlete. I yeah. mean, that's no that comes to no surprise from anyone. Um but I mean that's you know, I don't want to be unfair to athletes. A lot of times like these kids like they just play they just want to play football. Like, right. They don't want to be asked a bunch of questions and they're not the the best like public speaker and they get thrown in these positions and yeah, they get coached up, but carry on like kid just doesn't seem to me like he's just ready to go yeah it comes natural to him yeah credit to i mean just i guess like his parents and his family community for the way he's just built that character like you said but he comes out and he goes what six or twelve throws a few balls behind guys just misses some guys and and i'm worrying a little bit but he got one big third down late in the first quarter late in the fourth quarter at the gamecocks did unfortunately get stopped on later in the drive um and he was just good enough to win. And, I mean, it, his defense helped him. I mean, they really did. And for Joyner to go out there, the biggest thing he had to do was just not mess up. And he did not mess up. So you didn't turn the ball over. There you go. That's all you got to do. One thing to think about is kind of crazy to think that earlier in the year whenever he was announced the third-string quarterback. Yep. That at one point he would be playing against Georgia and not in a blow, meaningful snaps. It just kind of goes to show you, especially in this day and age wherever you have a lot of guys entering the transfer portal, because they expected him to enter the transfer portal. As soon as his name, the third string, he stuck it out, and now he's getting to play meaningful, like when it really matters against the number three team in the country. Yeah, I expected him to transfer as well. And I mean, that's nothing against him. I just think, like, you get named th- number three. Uh, on the depth chart and you have the kind of talent he does, it would just make sense for... If I was him, I would have gone somewhere else and tried to play um, just because you don't want to waste that talent like in those years that you have. Uh, but, I mean, just an absolute credit to him for sticking it out. And, I mean, can't say enough about the kid. I do, the only update we have on Holinsky so far, there will be... Muschamp's holding a teleconference now, actually, and he should be speaking on the Holinsky injury. But last night uh, after the game... He said that they didn't think it was a severe injury or anything, but that he just wasn't moving well enough to protect himself in the pocket. Um, and you don't, you, we wouldn't have seen him on the sideline, I don't think, if 
it was like something super severe, like an ACL or something. Yeah, because they probably wouldn't have went ahead and took him back. But actually, yeah. what they've just came out with, uh, Muschamp believes, well, the medical staff believes it's a sprained knee. It's not this serious. I don't know more. Tuesday, and we expect him to play on Saturday against Florida. That eh, that will definitely be pushing it. We'll see. I'm sure they have more tests and stuff that will be coming out between now and Tuesday. Absolutely. But we'll see because, you know, Florida comes in here. They'll be coming in fresh off loss against LSU and ready to go. Yeah, and I'll be I'll be at Mustang's press conference Tuesday. Go follow me at Tyler Walter CNR on Twitter, and I'll update. I mean, I always tweet out updates from whatever Mustang's saying. We'll tweet out the injury updates if you don't see it beforehand. Um, and then here's the, here's what I said. I wanted to get at some fan base. Can't be feeling good if you're an Irish fan right now, <laughs> because I'm going to go back at, at Notre Dame and. You you took so many moral victories going into Athens and and playing uh, Georgia and you kept it close and oh man this game said so much about Notre Dame um, which I disagreed with at the time there are no there are no moral victories it's like you lost and then you have what a month later a medi- very mediocre football team go to Athens Georgia and beat Georgia. Do the same thing that you just did. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, it's it wasn't quite as big of a game. Uh, it doesn't matter. Like, the talent that Notre Dame has is undeniably better than what South Carolina has right now. So, I think that loss says a lot about Georgia. But let's point at the finger at Notre Dame, too, here. Let's not let them off the hook for all these these thanking Georgia fans for such a great <laughs> weekend and congratulating the, the football team on beating you. Um Hey, you can take that loss and just shove it where the sun doesn't shine. It doesn't. There are no such thing as a good loss. You lost. Uh, so, and, and Notre Dame also got away with one against Southern Cal yesterday. They won by three points um, at home. Doesn't look great. I'm it's, just begging the committee. This is just my. This is just my rant to beg the committee to not put them in the college football playoff again this year because they just they just find ways to ruin football. They're not fun. Um, yeah. So, just there you go. Uh, I don't think Georgia's out of the playoff. Well, I, like they could, they could win, but the road just got a lot tougher. It got a lot tougher. You, you got to win every game now. You got to be Florida by twenty points, and you're gonna have to win the SEC championship, I believe. Which is a tough ask. One or the other, I'd be like, okay, maybe, but uh, it, like you said, it can be done. It's definitely gonna be a lot tougher than them. And then you know, Missouri. I have got to figure out if Missouri is able to play the they, SEC championship. They can. They, they can. They can because they they've lost to West Virginia, and that is their only loss right now, I believe. So even with the bowl ban, they could play. Yeah. That. Oh, and the with the ban, I'm not sure how that works, but uh, Missouri should be able to. I'm, I I want to say they can. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that on on Friday's show, and we'll. we'll We'll do some research and get back to it. But South Carolina just got announced for a noon kickoff against Florida next week. Hate is not a night game, but yeah, they, they got. I, I want to say they just, they just got screwed over because the two games, the three time slots we were looking at for the South Carolina game was South Carolina uh, at home against Florida, either noon, three thirty, or six. CBS took LSU, Mississippi State, Mississippi State, a team who just went to Knoxville and lost to Tennessee. That's going to be a terrible game. LSU is going to roll them. That game is not even going to be close. That game starts at 3.30. It'll be over by 3.32. Joe Burrow might throw for 800 yards. And then you have Kentucky at Georgia on ESPN at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock time slot. By the way, 6 o'clock is a weird time to start. Love it. Like it a little bit earlier. That would be a great time uh, to go. 
um, it, to start at 6 o'clock. But here's two teams that lost to South Carolina and a Florida team that's only lost to LSU on the road at LSU, and they lost by 14 points, and uh, LSU kind of pulled away at the end. And, I mean, that would be a good game to throw in the in primetime, I would think. I mean, I think the South Carolina-Georgia game, or Florida game, excuse me, is going to be the best game of these three because I think Georgia will steamroll Kentucky at home, and I think LSU will go to um, Starkville and just steamroll Mississippi State. Uh, I, I didn't quite understand that move by the conference and uh, the powers that be at these networks to not have South Carolina and Florida in a more desirable time slot. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I just don't get it. But either way. That's 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 what it is. So South Carolina will be playing Florida at noon next week. We'll dig into the Florida LSU game a little bit here. Um, Kyle Trask played amazingly last night in Death Valley. People were actually questioning how he didn't beat out uh, what's the other guy, uh, starting quarterback for Florida. Oh, uh, Franks, Felipe Franks. Yeah, people were questioning him. He's definitely a gamer for sure. Yeah, he's the. I just uh, let's see. I bookmarked a tweet I saw last night. I want to get this stat right. He is the first quarterback. Since Tim Tebow, to uh, while you're looking, he's at the up. first quarterback. I got it. You guys, first quarterback to since Tebow with three passing touchdowns in a road game versus an AP top ten opponent uh, since Tebow in 2007, and he threw for 310 yards. Yeah, at, uh, he, yeah, at LSU. He went 23 for 39, 310 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. Like I said, definitely a gamer. Was not expecting that. I haven't seen a Florida quarterback do something like that since, like like you said, like the Tebow leak days, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, they haven't, like, really had too great of – they haven't had, like, a quarterback since since him. I mean, Trask looks good. He looked – that was a better game than, like, you uh, you super score Felipe Franks is all of the games he plays, uh, like how some some schools super score your ACT score. Yeah. You super score Felipe Franks' game, and his stat line still looks worse than that. <laughs> and, and Kyle Trask is on the road at LSU. I was never a believer in, in Felipe Franks. Um, I just, I mean, I didn't, they, they had Luke Del Rio down there for a while. Um, and they, I mean, Florida's, like we said, they haven't they struggled to find a quarterback. But here's your guy. So I would just, honestly, if he's going to keep playing like this, Peace out to Felipe Franks. I, Felipe Franks, is, we talked a little earlier um, this season about how he's kind of like, got like a weird character guy, you know. I don't, like, Trask is like, he was slinging football yeah. last night. He looked good. I mean, he was making a lot of throws right on the money, and Florida was in that game until the fourth quarter. Um, they were, you know, they were down and they were back. They were down and they were back. That game was close all the way until the fourth quarter. And it's kind of what I expected from LSU's defense was that they would give up some points. I didn't think Kyle Trask would look that good. I mean, they were throwing the ball over the yard. I thought Florida was going to maybe not give Trask the the chance to throw that much and maybe try to get it to their players like Piran and, and Rainey and some of those other guys, the speed guys, um, and, and you know run the ball a little more against LSU's defense that has not looked as good as previous LSU's defenses to try to beat LSU that way and depend and rely on their defense. But I think Dan Mullen did a good job of knowing that they're like you're playing a very real quarterback in Joey Burrow and a very real offense um, in LSU and hey, we got to open up the playbook and let them sling it. We got to have to throw because LSU is going to score fast and often. Um, and they did. And Florida's defense on the other hand just got flat out exposed. 
I mean, I've been saying I don't believe in Florida all, all year. Just I didn't think they could. I didn't think they could beat Auburn. Hey, I didn't think they could beat Auburn at home. There was no doubts that that LSU. I had no doubts that LSU was going to beat them in Death Valley this this previous week. But Florida played a great game uh, offensively. But man, Joe Burrow. This is this kid is. I mean, he's unreal. Can you read his stat line to me? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, Joe Burrow went 21 for 24, 293 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Really, if you really look at the thing, he is what they expected of Trevor Lawrence this season. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's a great comparison. Yeah, like he absolutely has been. Um, and I think Lawrence was good against yesterday against Florida State, but it was Florida State. Yeah. Um, who has been very underperforming. It, Clemson did look I mean, that's how Clemson should have been playing all year. That's what we know they can do. They won by 50 points or something. <laughs> um, so, I mean, just a, an all-around great game for them. And, yeah, but Burrow has been just phenomenal this year. And wins like this are the Heisman wins. Um, His Heisman moment, per se. Yeah, so they've got, like, we just spoke. Like, I mean, LSU is just, I think, the most interesting team in the SEC to watch this year. Uh, they have been since week one. A, because they played a schedule they they had that big matchup against texas um which gave them credibility early on and b they've been throwing up just massive amounts of points like just a they have a different identity than we've seen lsu and it's always fun to watch teams who change things up you know in between years um and joey was under center a lot last year and this year you know lsu's dropping back in shotgun let him sling it around which is kind of how he was recruited to play at, at Ohio State. Um, and who was – oh, Colin, speaking of, I want to get on this for a second. Colin Coward didn't realize that that uh, that Joe Burrow oh, was an yeah. Ohio State transfer the other week. Just an incredible display of just – I love Coward. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't agree with him very often, but I do. I think he hosts a great show, and I think he's a great radio show host. Just very stupid. So – that's the last college football. That's, this is why I always like hate Coward when it comes to college football because he's such a Pac-12 like guy and he talks talks a lot. Washington of trash about, and Southern Cal and those schools. Yeah, talks trash about the SEC, and then you have something like this where, all right, dude, this is why people in the SEC don't respect media who don't respect the SEC because clearly you don't know what you're talking about, and this just you exposed yourself. Um, I, that's just. Something a different topic here, but I, I love Coward. But that was just there. You go, Colin Coward. Just keep stick to other sports. We don't we don't really need your opinions in college football because clearly you're not well informed. And then you say it to Urban Meyer, who was the co- the coach at Ohio State. It just really didn't look good. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. ask Urban Meyer. Like yeah. but back to the uh, Florida. That's the worst part. Yeah, it's like that. are you? It's like the whole you, thing. He asked Urban Meyer how he got away from Ohio State, and Urban was like, "Dude, you know he was on our team." And like Urban is a like Urban, but Urban, from what I understand, is not the nicest guy generally. No, no and no, so no, I no. am sure like the words that came to his mind were kind of like, "Dude, are you?" I'm not going to say the words, but I'm sure he had a, qu- a lot of questionable words to offer his explanation, but he decided to take the higher road and just being like, I, I can on, imagine Colin. he wanted to throw a microphone through Colin Coward's head. Yeah, because, you know, Urban's all about, like, do your job, do your research before you come <laughs> and talk to me. But back to the uh, Florida LSU game, Ugh. Kyle Trask did an excellent job with that option that they were doing. Like, I don't know if you saw it, but one time he, like, ran to almost to the line of scrimmage, I think it was to the left, and yeah, he pitched it at, yeah, yeah. And at the, at, I remember we played NCAA when you yep. used to do that. To, uh, he did it at Place the absolute choke. last minute. But also, when you look at the LSU's offense... Also, that was a no-look left-handed pitch. Let's yeah. not underrate that. I mean, Herbie... 
uh, Kirk Herbstreit was calling the game with um, Fowler. Yeah. And Irby talked about it for a second there. He kind of like made a little like woo kind of. I mean, it looked good. A little no look. A little what is this, Kyle Trask? Kind of a little flick it out there. It was that was a pretty little flip. Yeah, put some swag on. Like that was crazy. Yeah, it's re- it really nice to see like Florida doing these things on offense. And like you said, they were going tit for tat with LSU. And I was not expecting that. Yep. But as far as the LSU offense, they had a hundred yard rusher, Clyde Edwards. I'm not gonna say his last name. Went thirteen. His, his other his yeah, hyphenated last name. Yeah, Hilaire, something like that. He went thirteen for 134 yards, uh, two touchdowns, and they had two. And I have a really good uh, duo at receiver with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Jamar went seven for 100, had seven receptions for 127 yards and two touchdowns. And he had that he had the catch that kind of sealed it on the what was that like almost like a cross and go route where the uh cornerback stuck to the other receiver. And then Justin Jefferson had went ten for 123 yards for one touchdown. So it looked like a very complete offensive game. Very rarely do you have a hundred two hundred yard receivers and hundred yard rusher. And especially when you do this against one of the top rushers, I mean against one of the top defenses in the country. So really just a great game overall for the LSU Tigers. And I am praying that they end up playing Ohio State. I hope, I hope they keep winning. I pray they play Ohio State in the Georgia Dome in the college football playoff, and I should be in the building. Oh. That's what I need. I need that to happen. That's local, too, so it would be great. LSU, Ohio State. I don't really care to see Clemson. Forget that. I want to see LSU, Ohio State, and I guess that would be probably 2-3 because it wouldn't be 1-4. I mean, I said last week, I think those are the top two teams in the country right now. And, and thankfully, the AP poll put out today, you know, Finally put some respect on LSU's name. I mean, they took beating Florida, who I think has been overrated all year, at home um, by two touchdowns. I think this is actually, this this one's much worse than their Texas win. Yeah. Um, and, and this best. was Clemson's best win of the season. They finally looked like Clemson. Yeah. Um, and, and then it took this for them to, which, to jump Clemson to number two. That was kind of weird. Uh, but... Yeah, and I think you're going to continue to see Clemson fall as these other teams stay unbeaten. Now, when when the three schools in the Big Ten are kind of at the top, you know, the Penn State, uh, who had a great game against Iowa yesterday, and Ohio State and Wisconsin, who is the third best team in the, who has played the best to this point, uh, to the, to this uh, point, no doubt. I mean, they have three shutouts in five games, or something like four and six games, something like that. How their defense has been unreal. Number one scoring defense in the country. They've given up like 50 points. Um, yeah, and, and they've just been outrageously good. I don't know how Wisconsin is not ranked higher. Like, they're number six or seven right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, like, what? Like, you have a Bama defense who has struggled and hasn't played any better competition so far than Wisconsin has, um, in my opinion. And I, I'm a huge SEC guy. I will ride or die SEC no matter what. But Wisconsin has played every bit of the talent level uh, that that Bama has, and I would argue even more because they played Central Michigan, who in the past has shown abilities to win big games. And Bama's played like I don't even nobody state. You know, it, it's just <laughs> it's crazy. And I mean, I'm not trying to like like Nick Saban kind of said. It, I get I know it's tough for Bama to schedule out of conference opponents because he, he said before, you know, we can't get anybody to play us, but. And they took business against well, Southern Miss. They took business, uh, took care of business against them. But like their defense has just given up a lot of points, which is very worrisome when you have to play LSU in three weeks, less than a month. Um, and, and we're about to really find out who LSU is. They play Mississippi State 
next week, and I don't see that being LSU might put up a hundred points. Uh, miss, how do you lose to Tennessee? One of my picks of the week. Just I, that was the one I was most confident about. I was most confident <laughs> about Wisconsin um, and, and and Mississippi State, and they lost to Tennessee. Great, good luck for the Vols. Good job, proud of you. But Mississippi State, what are you doing? Just cancel their season. Um, they're done. Burrow is going to throw for just 8,000 yards next week. Um, but, yeah, just a great like great game from LSU all around. That game was awesome. It was everything I wanted it to be. Um, the Red River shootout, I, had to, I honestly I had it on as well, um, but I just didn't watch a lot of it because I was just on a roller coaster with South Carolina, um, and it was on the whole time. And Texas's defense was able to keep them in it. Yeah. In the first half, but their Ellinger in the offense just wasn't able to get going. Uh, I did enjoy, you know, like I love that rivalry so much, but this is just kind of what I thought would happen. I thought, but I, I thought, I thought this is what would happen score wise and like the closeness of it. I thought Oklahoma would win and it wouldn't feel that very, that much, that uncomfortable for Oklahoma, uh, but it would be close. And then, I didn't see Texas' offense struggling that much against Oklahoma's defense. That's what, like what I said on Friday's episode was I think Texas is, like and Ellinger are going to be able to have a good day against a very underwhelming defense on Oklahoma's side. Credit to Texas's defense for being able, first half they held Oklahoma to 10 points. Um, and, I mean, Oklahoma scored 14 in the fourth quarter. They scored 24 in the second half. Like, that's not great uh, for a defense. But that's a Big 12 defense. And... It's kind of like the dangers. Like Texas could have very easily won this game if they'd have just showed up. You know, only throwing up three points in the first half against an Oklahoma defense. You you just got to be better than that. And you got what you got Ellinger's stat line in front of you there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ellinger went twenty six for thirty eight for two hundred ten yards. Not that bad of a day. I was watching this game. No touchdowns. Yeah, first half. Oh my gosh! Like I got the feel Oklahoma was really controlling the game for the most part. Jalen Hurts had a fumble. If I'm not, yeah, Jalen Hurts had a fumble. Afterwards, he went and cut his sleeve. Jalen Hurts is extremely dialed in. It's kind of crazy when you yeah, watch these games. Like he is not playing. Like he scores a touchdown, everybody wants to celebrate. He walks to the sideline. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Hurts had that, and then he had an interception, just trying to do a lot. But he was really playing like almost like a boy amongst man a little bit in this game. Also, it was established that CeeDee Lamb just might be the best receiver in the country. I don't know if you saw him on Twitter. Some of his catches, a lot of uh, the first time there were like five guys around him. He still found his way to the end zone. The second time, I think it was three guys. CeeDee Lamb. He went 10 for 170 yards, 171 yards, and three touchdowns. But yeah, throughout this game, you could see, you visibly could see Sam Ellinger getting a little bit, Ellinger, however you say his name, you could see him getting a little bit frustrated, almost like, oh my gosh, because they were applying a lot of pressure, the Oklahoma defense uh, all together. And also, one guy that a lot of people need to put on their radar, Kenneth Murray Jr. I think he's number nine. He's a middle linebacker for Oklahoma. He looks like a middle linebacker. He's outstanding. I think pretty sure he was a preseason Big 12 All-American, and he will definitely get that award. I think he's the best defensive player in the Big 12, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I saw what um, C.D. Lamb got named, what, National Player of the Week? Yeah. Um, and what, wait, what's the the official award called? Who is who do they credit with it? Like something is, said it before. Could the show. it be Blenikoff or something? No, like that? Um, it's something else. Uh, pull that up real quick. And and Mokwamu is the defensive player, the national defensive player of the week. Um, and, and yeah, just great game. From Walter Camp offensive. Walter player Camp, of the that's week. right. And, and uh, there you go. But 
great. Like we talked about Mocha Wellman's performance earlier, and I saw you tweeting about CeeDee Lamb yesterday. Uh, so he did look good in what I saw of, of him yesterday. And, I mean, I was just unimpressed with Texas and just disappointed, honestly, because they had, like, every ability to go win that game, and they just didn't do it. So, I don't know, like, their offense just wasn't there. Um, and that's probably, like, your last – that was your last chance to make a splash this year for Texas. So you're going to hope to go 10-3 and because you're probably going to lose to – if you play well, I mean, you got another shot against Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. Um, and that one, that's in the Jerry's Stadium, right? Yeah, I believe that's in Jerry World now. Yep. But uh, at this point, all you can really do is play spoiler here. Yeah, you you gotta. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You gotta. If you're Texas, you can't lose anymore, and you just gotta make it to the Big 12 championship and just give it another shot because you're gonna miss a playoff because you can't lose to LSU, who's looking. Very good. Um, you can't lose to them at home and lose to Oklahoma in the same season. To con- you have to be able to pertu- prove you can contend to be in the conversation. Yeah. And Texas just isn't there yet. And I thought this might be the year that they would beat Oklahoma. But, I mean, watch like Jalen, Jalen Hurts is just unfair. And even though he wasn't his best like, stat-wise yesterday, um, I mean, just his ability, just his playmaking ability, he was off the charts. I mean, he... Like flicked a ball behind his back to afford to get in, like uh, swatted yesterday in a sack, like to avoid a. I mean, just like crazy where he looks like he's playing in slow motion, like everyone else is playing in slow motion. He's an incredible athlete, and I've had a lot of fun just watching him uh, this year at, with Oklahoma. And it's been just him playing at Oklahoma has just displayed his athleticism so much more than it ever could have at Alabama. Um, and that's no offense to Alabama and the way they run their offense, but I mean, just Oklahoma, they're just like, look, man, you're the guy. Go do your thing. One and, could go ahead. And it just looks like they give their guys just complete freedom to just be athletic beasts. Yeah, one could say this is almost a better system for them. You know, Alabama's a little bit more be a game manager, but at Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley were really kind of. Kind of scheme his offense around your strong suits and obviously improve you and care in places that you may need that you may need to improve in. And one could say he's kind of legitimately made Jalen Hurts a quarterback prospect more so for the NFL than he was whenever he left Alabama by and uh, working on his passing game and probably his calls and things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. Some somewhere Jalen Hurts will sneak up on a draft board and he will get picked um, to go somewhere and uh, like. This kid, if he keeps balling like this, like you're, he's just been playing incredible. Um, right now, would you take him or Justin Fields or two in the Heisman ceremony? I, right now, honestly, I take Joe Burrow because I think oh, Burrow yeah. at the end is going to have – he's got the stats. Like he's the – like if you're Trevor Lawrence, like if that was your prediction at the end of the year, that one's over. Right? There's just no way he can win it even if he has just the most incredible second half like we've ever seen. His first half just wasn't good enough to compete with the guys that already have built those stats. Because even if those guys have average second halves, they're going to have better stats altogether than, than Lawrence will, and they just play better competition from here on out. And they have played competition like, before, like the level of competition that we've talked about multiple times for Clemson this year just isn't good enough to even like consider giving one of their players a Heisman when you have Hurts and Burrow doing this against like actual teams right. or like competent opponents. Um, and you like. I give it to Burrow right now. Uh, he's my leader in the clubhouse, but Hertz is like absolutely there. And the only reason I give it to Burrow 
a little bit more is because, like, just who he's played. Like, he has, and Burrow's going to play Auburn in two weeks, and he's going to have a bye, and he's going to play Bama. And if he can win those two games, like, convincingly, like the way they won this Florida game this week, He'll run away I, I just don't see how you can't give a guy who has just proven that'll be four times in a season he's beaten a legitimate team that he'll he will have beaten Auburn's ranked 11th right now so let's say they sneak into the top 10 next week at number 10 and, and Bama's gonna stay in the top 10 no matter what if he beats those teams he's gonna beat four top 10 teams in one season before the SEC championship game where he will face another top 10 team um and that'll just be like I, I don't think you can you cannot overestimate the ability for your quarterback to win you big time games and if Burrow gets to that point and leads LSU to be undefeated um, even if they lose to Bama and keep it close and Burrow does well I still think Burrow wins it over Jalen just because he's had more chances to prove his ability against those very top level teams that's a good point um, alright so we're kind of going to wrap it up there we're not going to do a, a lot this week because we ran uh, like we obviously didn't expect South Carolina to beat Jordan I don't think either <laughs> one of us expected that I don't, not too many people were expecting that um and I know we ran long on that, so we're gonna. We will. I will recap my picks of the week real quick. Um, two and three is my first losing week since the the beginning of the lead block. So you know what really screwed me was Mizzou only won by eleven when they were up by sixteen or something, um, fourteen I guess it might have been. Ole Miss just scored late to bring it to eleven, so I lost that by a point. Could have got a push. Uh, never had a doubt in Wisconsin. Oh, I, this I want to go back to this. Sorry. Wisconsin, for the people who were saying Michigan State was going to test Wisconsin, thirty-eight to nothing, just an absolute beatdown, and they embarrassed Michigan State yesterday. This is why I'm saying this team should be like people are not talking about them enough. They're overlooking them. I mean, we're, we're talking about Ohio State a lot, and Ohio State deserves all the talk that they're getting. But how is Wisconsin's defense not getting more talk? And, and just the way that they've done this year. And Paul Christ has led them to an incredible season. He's been the coach there since, um, oh, my guy that, that left, uh, Brett Pilma. And, who almost blanked on that. I love Pilma. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Paul Christ has been there, and, and he's been able to build on what Pilma has done and just play big boy football. Now they have a big boy defense, and they're just, they're not giving up points. The only close game they've had this year was Northwestern. I mean, they've they smacked Michigan. And they, they really shouldn't have given up points in that game. They gave up a garbage time touchdown and one in the third quarter. They they completely you cannot beat even though they're playing Kent State, you cannot beat Penn State Kent State any better than what they beat Kent State. And it was what, thirty eight, forty eight, nothing? Yeah. Didn't give up any points. So when your defense hasn't given up any points, it's pretty like you should be talked about more. They play with Ohio State, I see, what, in two weeks? Yeah, on the 26th. I cannot wait for that one. It'll be the test between that Wisconsin defense versus the Justin Fields and obviously Ohio State's offense. One thing to note with the Big Ten West, Minnesota's still undefeated in the Big Ten. Uh, it's undefeated altogether. Minnesota and Wisconsin right now are sharing the the first spot in the Big Ten West. And so they're not even in the same division. They're in the same conference, not the same division as the Penn State, the Ohio State. So they really have a better shot at uh, probably, even if they lose to Ohio State or something like that, being able to see them again in the Big Ten Championship game. Yeah, that's the only thing that works against Wisconsin is their division is not as strong. Yeah. Um, but 
I still think that's probably what, like, you, because there's no divisions in the Big 12 that's still maybe the fourth most, like, strongest, you know, like, I think the Big 10, like, both conf- like both divisions this year, uh, certainly I would put over the Pac-12 because Arizona State's proven to be good. Washington State's proven to be just kind of a fluke this year, unfortunately. I love them, you know. I've talked about Mike Leach a bunch. I wish they were winning so we could talk about them more. Um <laughs> Herm Edwards has done great, and Oregon has been good. But out of those, you know, you got two teams there, and I only really consider Oregon to be the legitimate threat. I don't think Arizona State will be a legitimate threat as we get down the stretch here. And they're beating the teams they should beat. Um, they're not losing the games they shouldn't right now. And um, and they actually beat Michigan State a few weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, I think that... I think the Pac-12 North gets a lot of credit which, with Oregon, Washington, Stanford. Stanford's, Stanford's underperformed, Washington's underperformed, and, and Oregon's been good. But you don't have anyone else to back you up there. And Minnesota being undefeated right now, six games into the season, does give Wisconsin a little credibility. Um, and, and we also know Nebraska, they haven't played like it yet. They are a team that could shock people. Um, they've got, they're like, they're, Scott Frost is still a couple years off, I think, there. But Nebraska, like, you've got to kind, of, kind of stick with them. I think they will be good, like, Football's better when Nebraska good, no doubt. Um, to continue on to the picks of the week here, to get back to that. So I won the what I had the over in the Washington State Arizona State game, easy money. Um, and, and then I had Wisconsin minus ten and a half. That looked too good, and they won by thirty eight points. Mississippi State really let me down against Tennessee. I don't just don't understand that. I had UVA Friday night plus two and a half, and they they got um they got beat at Miami. So there you go. Virginia season's out the door. Um, as I thought it would be, I think we were really overrating. It, and that tends to happen a lot. You overrate a lot of teams at the beginning of the season. You underrate a lot of other teams. Um, and then that's it. We'll bounce back next week. So still, uh, positive on the season. I believe my winning percentage is still like 62, 63%. Uh, so still making money. If you follow the lead blocks picks, um, and then we got the college football playoff. Uh, I said it was coming out this week. I was thinking back to the BCS. BCS used to be after week seven. The first college football playoff ranking is November 5th, so we still have a few weeks before that happens with us, two, three weeks away. Um, it's getting exciting. Like We're going to have LSU and Auburn before then, um, and we're going to have, uh, I think, LSU-Bama is right before that gets that, that comes out. I think LSU-Bama is uh, that n- November 3rd. So that would be two days before the first college football playoff ranking came out. Um, we're going to have Alex on today. We spoke about this you know, in the last couple of podcasts. We're going to have Alex, Alex on to talk NASCAR today on the podcast. But at the time of the recording, uh, the Dega race is still in rain delay. They've been in rain delay on and off throughout the day. Um, and we knew we were going to be running long with all the South Carolina George talk. So we're going to do that Thursday uh, or Friday, Friday's episode. Um, Alex will come in and talk NASCAR with us and kind of wrap up the playoffs and tell us what's going on in, in the world of NASCAR for about uh, 20 minutes or so, and we'll see how that's going. Um, we got another great week college football coming at you this next week. Um, and as the Jets, did the Jets just beat the the, the Cowboys get, lost another one. What's the Cowboys' record now? Yeah, they're what, 3-2, and two, I think, um, something like that, but maybe 3-3. Three and three. Um, anyway, if tune in if you can tune in to first take tomorrow or hop on Stephen A's Twitter so we can watch <laughs> Stephen A just beat down Cowboys fans again and again. It's one of the greatest things on in the entertainment world. Um, and 
So, I mean, just losing to the Jets is just embarrassing. And uh, Yep, they're, oh, what is that, three losses straight? Yep, they've lost to the Saints. They've lost to the Jets. Jets first win on the year, and they lost to the Packers. Yeah, Darnold's back, so maybe the Jets do have some kind of hope. Uh, like, maybe, Jets, you where you want to be. You want to be at about one win so you can get a top-five pick, and you can guarantee yourself a top-five pick, and you can go get a playmaker to help Darnold out. Um, whether, you know, whether that be a playmaker or – whether that be someone on your defense or, or your offensive line, you, you could use another top five pick. Um, and then, so yeah, we're, we'll obviously give you a lot of football next. We're going to be previewing a great game between South Carolina and Florida. Uh, hit us in DMs on Twitter, Instagram, comment, you know, uh, anyway you can reach out to Matthew Rye. The, their, our Twitter and Instagram Handles are at the lead underscore block. Uh, Matthew's Twitter and Instagram is at Matt, the chosen one with the new, number one. Um, I'm on Twitter at Tyler Walter CNR. So comment if you see us tweet something or post something on IG or DM us any questions, topics you want to talk about on the podcast. We will surely get to them. Um, we would love to do that and stay engaged. And make sure you go rate, subscribe, review on Apple Pods. Um, I'm hoping Spotify in years to come, even as I listen to podcasts, I, I like, I hope Spotify works in a way to do like a rating, like a, a review section, um, just to kind of pump up. Yeah. We love feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Feedback helps a lot. And, and then, you know, so hopefully Spotify will do that, but, uh, let us know what you think of the podcast, whether it be on Apple pods or tweet at us or something, uh, get at us and, we're out tomorrow, Monday. This will be up Monday. Uh, give us a listen. Tell your friends. Have them listen. Tell your mom. Tell your dad. Uh, have them listen. Tune in on Friday. Every Monday, Friday, we're coming at you. Um, this has been the best week of college football so far, I'd say. The most interesting. You had a huge upset. The The big night game lived up to the hype, finally. Um, I guess the only other one that has is the first LSU, <laughs> first LSU game. I uh, can't say enough thank yous to them for scheduling opponents and playing good games um, in conference. And then uh, we had the, the Big Ten game of the week, which we didn't talk about with Penn State and Iowa, which was a great game. Um, and the Red River shootout, which was disappointing but close. Um, we would like to remind you this has been a production of Garnet Media, and we would like to say a special thank you to Ben Sound for our music, intro and outro music for the podcast. Matthew, any last words? No, none at all. I cannot believe the weekend we just had. Monday's going to be fun around campus. Yeah, Monday is going to be buzzing here at USC. Um, and we'll talk to you Friday.